many parts of the U.S. have been in lockdown for about a month now. And this week, politicians and public health officials really started to talk about what it will take to reopen the country. The plans they've come up with to safely end social distancing all seem to contain two words. Contact tracing. Contact tracing. Contact tracing. Real aggressive contact tracing. And you do contact tracing so that you don't have a beginning of a, of a peak. Contact tracing is a tried-and-true tactic for infectious diseases. Sharon Begley is a senior science writer at the health news website STAT. The reason I say tried-and-true is because that is what finally put out the 2014 Ebola epidemic and seems to have done so last year as well. It basically means what the phrase sounds like. You identify patients who have the disease in question, and then you figure out everyone whom they have come into contact with. That can be close contact. They perhaps live together, but it can also be just casual contact, depending on the disease, such as they passed through the same shopping center at the same time. They were office mates. They were perhaps in the same subway car at the same time. Who did the patient cross paths with? And then you take those people and you isolate them. The idea is to take out of circulation not only people who have been diagnosed with the disease, but anyone who might have been infected by it even before they are showing symptoms. To end the lockdown, public health agencies would need to do contact tracing on a huge scale. And last week, two tech rivals, Apple and Google, said they want to help. So today on the show, how contact tracing could help us end the lockdown safely. I'm Ariel Demros. This is Reset. Sharon Begley, there are a lot of ways in which the U.S. has been sort of playing catch-up in its response to the pandemic. Is that the case with contact tracing? It is the case with contact tracing for the basic reason that experts in contact tracing and also in infectious disease have forever believed and argued that contact tracing does not work with a respiratory disease. And the reason experts told us that contact tracing would not work with respiratory diseases is that respiratory diseases spread too easily. Hmm. Air is a lot easier, you know, to come into contact with than someone else's blood, um, and that it also spreads too quickly. So from the get-go, um, this country has not even attempted to do serious contact tracing. We didn't try it in the first cases in the state of Washington. We didn't try it after cases appeared in California. Certainly have not tried it since cases appeared on the East Coast. And in addition... Contact tracing is immensely laborious. Um, you need an army of thousands of people to do it. But right now, contact tracing is being touted as one of the ways that will eventually be able to sort of reopen the country. Why are we seeing this shift in the way that people are talking about this? Because of what happened in other countries. Um, in South Korea in particular, in Singapore, both of which had very, very early cases, not surprising given their proximity to China. Um, that's what they did. Those countries did contact tracing. It worked. And suddenly that opened the eyes of experts who said, no, no, it could never be done. 
So wait, does that completely change the way that we look at respiratory illnesses like this? It, it really does. Um, you know, just as with the recognition that uh, face masks actually can help, all sorts of assumptions about um, respiratory diseases are being rewritten and, in fact, overturned as a result of what we're seeing in this pandemic. Okay, so in all the plans that we are seeing to reopen the country, to reopen the United States, how important is contact tracing going to be? Everybody who has looked at this, academics, officials in other countries, say that this will be the only way that the country can be reopened, that we can have an exit from the very strict social distancing, physical distancing that we've had for the last month, month and a half. You know, whether it's the governors talking about how to figure this out, testing and contact tracing is at the center of all of those plans. And the the sequence is test. In other words, you have to identify people who carry the virus, trace their contacts, you isolate people, and you hope that, that that works. I can't help but notice that you're not talking about antibody testing. You're not talking about vaccines. I, I guess that's sort of surprising probably for a lot of people hearing this, right? That that contact tracing and, and not these these future things that we're hoping will happen is will be central to, to this approach. You know, the reason I'm not emphasizing vaccines now is because there's not going to be a vaccine um, in this calendar year. Um, as for serology testing, i.e. the blood tests that identify if somebody has antibodies to this coronavirus, that absolutely can play a role in reopening the economy. But, you know, let's look at the numbers. I mean, what do we have now? Just over half a million U.S. cases. The the country has something like 350 million people. If you're only going to let, you know, back to life, back to work, um, people who have survived their COVID-19 infection, that's not going to give you the numbers that you need. The reason you need testing and contact tracing is that you want a whole lot more people to be able to go back to their stores and their workplaces and their factories and be able to you know, safely ride the subway and all of those things. So it can't be only the blood tests for the antibodies. OK, so what do we need to do to implement a successful contact tracing program for COVID-19? And, and what are the obstacles? So here's the problem. As we were saying earlier in the expert's objection to contact tracing for respiratory virus, it has to be done fast. Um, On average, to identify a person's contacts, just to identify them, let alone to track them down, takes something like 12 hours of asking, where were you? Um, You know, what were you Hmm. doing? What was it like there, et cetera? You know, so that's an average. 12 hours is a really long time. Like, to be clear, that's a long interview. That's a long interview. Probably not sitting in one place for all that time, but going back to the person say, wait, um, are you sure you weren't here or there? And what about this, you know, block of time when you forgot where you were? So it's extremely laborious. It's very time consuming. Um, To do that with just plain old um, analog human beings, um, the estimates are that the United States would need at least 100,000 tracers, possibly as many as 300,000. Wow. Um, And of course, we're going to, um, you know, pay these people and value them and encourage them. So, you know, you're probably looking at upwards of 3.6 billion, that's billion with a B, um, dollars just to do that. And absolutely, you know, it's worth it. Um, But that's the order of magnitude that you're talking about in terms of effort. So it sounds like doing contact tracing in the U.S. with human interviewers will be expensive and time consuming. 
And now we're seeing lots of attempts to automate this process with technology. So in theory, how could technology help? The technology that's being discussed can be basically instantaneous. Um, The way many of these systems would work is you opt in, and the opting in means that please tell me if anyone else who has opted in who tests positive for this virus, tell me if, according to our location data, I have crossed paths with that person. We were in the the coffee shop at the same time. We we passed um, on a park when we were out social distancing, but exercising. So you would then get an alert saying, yes, you came into close contact with someone. Um, we think you should now isolate yourself for 14 days. If you can get through those two weeks without symptoms, then that casual passing by the person um, did not infect you. That can be done virtually instantaneously, certainly you know faster than uh, human contact tracers. And the hope is that by doing it that quickly, you can snuff out any transmission chains that might crop up. Right. Because to be clear, it's not just reducing the time of that 12 hour interview. It's also reducing the time that it takes to contact the people that that person has been in touch with by just making it automated and automatic. A group at Oxford University um, in, in the UK did model this and they found that if you can accelerate how quickly you find you diagnose cases and trace their contacts, then you can ease up on social distancing to a degree that nothing else will enable you to do. So could a tech solution for contact tracing work in the U.S. in a widespread way? So it's it's always dicey to talk about a technological fix. But in this case, um, again, as with so much in COVID-19, we have other countries that have uh, shown us the way. Singapore, South Korea, they used everything from security camera footage to smartphone tracing. Hmm. Israel rolled out a system like this. What's important to remember is that success does not mean zero cases. Success means that we do not have another um, instance where we overwhelm our hospitals and have the horrible situations that we've all seen in especially New York hospitals. Bottom line, you can have way, way less than 100% opt-in and still have a really good chance of catching any um, incipient new infections after we're over the current wave. Sharon Begley is a senior science writer at STAT. After the break, Apple and Google have, for the first time and against all odds, teamed up to bring contact tracing to 3 billion smartphones. These are the two mobile phone operating systems. It's really just them. And so having both of them signed on means that you basically get everything. This is Reset. This week on The Gray Area. Professor Diana Posulka and I tackle one of life's biggest questions. Are we alone in the universe? What would it take for you to step off the agnostic ledge and say, yeah, aliens are real? Is it a spacecraft landing on the White House lawn? Well, something that was anomalous in 1952 did fly over the White House. And that's one of those cases that is still weird. (laughs) 
That's This Week on the Gray Area, available wherever you get your podcasts. Late last week, Russell Brandom, policy editor at The Verge, got an email that gave him a vague heads up about some upcoming news. And I said at the time, I was like, this could be anything from off the record, we value our customers' privacy, to we're partnering with Google for a massive coronavirus tracking operation. <laughs> like, that was my example of absurdly newsy thing that they could announce. I could not imagine anything sort of bigger than that, basically. Russell's guess wasn't absurd after all. Apple and Google really were going to collaborate. When I was writing the article, I sort of searched in our in our stock photo tool to see if there was some picture of uh, Tim Cook, the Apple CEO, and Sundar Pichai, the Google CEO, like just standing on stage together. Because I was like, <laughs> we could have some. And there's no such picture. Like, that hasn't happened. <laughs> Russell spent the weekend looking into Google and Apple's joint proposal. I like to think of it as like, these are the terms under which they're ready to let these devices be turned into sort of tools of medical surveillance, right? Like this is, this is if you wanted to use iOS and Android as sort of a platform for figuring out who had infected who with coronavirus, this is what they're willing to do. So can you walk me through this? How exactly is this going to work? Yeah. Okay. So essentially, they're planning to give health departments access to the Bluetooth systems on Android and iOS phones. You will at some point be offered the opportunity to participate, whether through downloading an app or, you know, in in the settings of your phone. Once that happens, your phone will be collecting little bits of information from the people who are within Bluetooth range. And the premise being that the people who are in range are close enough where if they have the virus, you're potentially exposed to the virus, right? Mm. And then later, if one of those people tests positive, you'll get an alert saying you were exposed at around this time. We recommend, well, we don't know exactly what the recommendations will say. Presumably the recommendations will say we recommend that you quarantine. Okay. So that's basically the premise. And this is similar to, you know, there's, there's a version of this where it's all manual and you're getting a call from someone who works for the CDC and they say, we did this interview, we were doing manual contact tracing, you were exposed, we recommend you do this. This is sort of the automated version of that. Just to be clear, Google and Apple, they're not making an app right now, right? Yeah, no, This and this is an important thing because like, they're probably better at making apps than your state health department. Right. <laughs> but there are a lot of calls in making that app that they... I think, understandably, we're uncomfortable with. So, for instance, like when you get an alert that says, you know, Russell, you were in this grocery store and someone else in that grocery store had COVID-19. What should I do when I get that alert? Like, what does it recommend to me? Am I just going to quarantine for 14 days? Is there something else? That's not something Google wants to be making the decision about Mm, what to mm -hmm. recommend. They want the health department, because this is sort of the health department's job, to be saying that. But then the result is that whole app needs to be made by, you know, these departments, which are not otherwise in the business of making apps. We did an episode last week about using GPS phone location data to see whether people are complying with social distancing. So it sounds like this is a different kind of technology, right? This is not GPS. This is Bluetooth. Yeah. And there there were some discussions about using GPS data 
to do this sort of thing. But there are two important differences. One is this is not giving anyone your absolute location. Mm. So if it's, you know, Russell was going to the Socialist Party headquarters and we want to see everyone who was at the Socialist Party headquarters just for our records, like this won't tell them that. Right. It's not logging your location. All it's doing is saying, hey, you might have walked past somebody who tested positive for COVID-19. Right. And so then this is the other nice thing, which I actually think in many ways gives you better information. So the Bluetooth that we're talking about is that your phone has this antenna and another phone has an antenna and the antennas are talking directly to each other, Mm -hmm. you know, provided that you're both participating in this in this contact tracing effort. So it's measuring the direct distance. Where, you know, you think with GPS, it could be a little off. If I'm three feet off one way and you're three feet off the other way, then pretty soon the distance between us becomes really hard to calculate and the error rate can be quite large. Whereas Bluetooth, you know, it's not perfect and there are a lot of drawbacks to it. But at the very least, it's it's measuring direct distance. And not just that, the signal gets blocked by things like walls and like floors and ceilings. Right. So it's like I have this Bluetooth connector in my living room that's connected to speakers. And when I walk into my bedroom, all of a sudden the music cuts out. Exactly. But in some ways for a contact tracing app, that's exactly what you want. Where like if I'm in my apartment and someone walks through the hallway to their apartment upstairs, there was no opportunity for them to infect me, even though they were physically quite close you know, th- there was a wall between us, so it wasn't the germs weren't going to get through. And and so th- you get some of that effect with the Bluetooth, which I think is ultimately helpful. Mm-hmm. All right. So in this case, Bluetooth limitations, the stuff that that annoys the heck out of me every time I use it and connect my speakers. In this case, it's a good thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, what what you hear from Apple and Google is basically that by setting the threshold of how strong a signal has to be, they can set the range to something that, you know, one, is reasonably accurate in terms of telling someone you've been exposed, like they actually have been exposed if they've been that close, but also that's like a reasonable number of alerts to give people where you're not just getting constantly alerted to the point that you ignore it. Right. If somebody runs past me where the risk of infection is very, very low, I would hope that I wouldn't get pinged every time somebody is a runner just like goes past me. Right. So they have set how often it's checking in, which is sort of generally it's less than a second. But the range, they're still sort of calibrated. So it sounds like there's still a lot to figure out. But if I want to participate, let's just say that I'm a person who's excited about this. When can I opt in? Yeah. So they're expecting as soon as mid-May, to have enough of it done that sort of public health agencies can release an app that will let you do this. Now, that's going to depend on your local public health agency and whether they actually get their act together and produce this, which remains to be seen. But, you know, there will be enough of the project for it to be done that you can get some app if there's an app for you to get. Okay. In the months after that, they're going to ship it directly into Android and iOS. So you will probably get a pop-up notification saying, hey, do you want to participate in contact tracing? Hmm. They're saying that it will require explicit permission. No one is going to end up doing this if they did not click yes at some point, uh, which is potentially an issue on its own. But 
you may get the pop up and you may get nudged sort of vigorously to do this. Are there any security or privacy issues that people need to think about when they are considering opting in? Yeah. Um, so I think I looked pretty closely at the at the security problems. I think the big thing is uh, just using it. You are not sharing that much information about your data if you're just sort of flicking the switch on your phone and you're blasting it out. The bit where it gets complicated is if you test positive and you mm-hmm. say, I want to share this. If you do that, there is not a great guarantee of your medical privacy, that people will not know that you have been diagnosed with COVID-19, right? Like you are taking the first step towards making your diagnosis public. And, and, And this is inherent in sort of the idea of contact tracing, that like you are warning them and by warning them, you're sort of giving up a little bit of your medical privacy. I think in particular in this like age of social distancing where ideally we're not seeing that many people. So the exposure that's left really stands out. And so they do a bunch of clever things in the protocol to try to make it harder to sort of de-anonymize someone. But if you get the alert, there is a decent chance that without even going into the code and the numbers, you're just able to say, oh, I was only with one person at 3 p.m. yesterday, and that's it. Right. So speaking of code and numbers, is there a chance that some hacker could get, like, some kind of a master list of everybody who has COVID-19 in New York City? Like, is is that a thing that could happen out of this? I don't think they would get everyone. Hmm. You would have to de-anonymize people one by one. The thing that the central service has, so there is this server and it has the list of all the codes of sort of app clients that have tested positive because that's what your phone is checking with to say, have I been exposed to any of these people? Usually with encryption and privacy stuff, you want to say it's absolutely impossible. Like it is impossible for anyone to be sitting in the middle and like read my email. Right. You do not get that far with this. It is possible to work back to a single person, which probably also means it's possible to come up with some system where you're working back to all the people. Uh, It's just there's no hard guarantee if you are volunteering, having tested positive to say, I want to warn other people who are exposed to me. There's no ironclad guarantee of your medical privacy at that point. And I think that's so that is the thing I would say. And now, again, it's tough because just as a citizen and someone living in New York, I really, really want people to volunteer their diagnosis so we can get a handle on this thing. But it's important to know what you're giving up when you do that. So wait. Russell, when this this whole thing comes out, when this app, whether it's an app or a setting in your phone, um, are you going to opt into this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're a security guy. You're a privacy guy. You know how this stuff works and you're you feel confident that this is a good idea for you. I mean, look, someone might know that I had tested positive or something and that would be bad. I think it's unlikely that they'll find out like who I was hanging out with separately from that. There's a chance that like someone I was meeting with would be revealed. But like people are dying, you know, you got to like set priorities, right? Like we got to we got to protect the community here and protecting the community in this case means we just it's it's too important. We got to trace the contacts. 
I mean, and, and also it's been really successful in places like Singapore and Taiwan. So it's not just crazy. Like, this has worked. Russell Brandom is a policy editor at The Verge. Since I spoke with him, Google and Apple have announced their intention to turn off the contact tracing capability in their operating systems once the coronavirus pandemic is over. Which, you know, who knows when that'll be. But that's the news. Oh, and one more thing. We love hearing all your voice memos. And this week, I want to know, what new piece of tech are you using right now to help you get through this pandemic? What app or device have you discovered because you're stuck at home? Send me your recorded answers to reset at vox.com. That's it for today's show. I'm Ariel Zumros, and this is Reset. We publish episodes three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at ADRS. You can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. We'll be back on Sunday. Later, nerds.